Podglomerate original. Hey, podcast listeners. Are you planning holiday travel, dreaming of your next big adventure, or finally satisfying your wanderlust? If so, the next step might just be checking out Expedia's podcast, Out Travel the System. More than travel hacks, Out Travel the System breaks down travel-related stereotypes and showcases just how much there is to see and experience in the world. You'll hear from expert guests like Condé Nast's former creative director, Yolanda Edwards, and industry pioneer, Jessica Nabongo, who is the first black woman to visit all the countries in the world. However, and wherever you travel, follow Out Travel the System everywhere you listen to podcasts. Hey, Trailweight listeners. Before we start today's episode, I wanted to quickly tell you about another podcast, The Carbon Copy. Climate change can often feel like a far-off problem or tend to be siloed as a scientific story. But everything is a climate story. And that's where The Carbon Copy comes in. Hosted by climate reporter Stephen Lacey, The Carbon Copy covers climate change by connecting it to the significant cultural, economic, business, and tech trends that shape the world around us. Produced by Postscript Media and Canary Media, the carbon copy informs, enlightens, and sparks curiosity about how a changing climate affects our lives. From Russia's war on Ukraine to the housing crisis to decisions handed down from the Supreme Court, the carbon copy explores how climate change and the energy transition connect to today's biggest stories. To hear more, follow and subscribe to the carbon copy on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Having hiked over a hundred miles, Rocky and I continued on the trail up a long, dry climb with little shade. The new food and supplies we had just picked up weighed heavy in our packs as we walked through manzanita, brushes, and thickets. We continued on through Pines and eventually over Selden Pass. With the significant passes behind us, this felt so much easier. It was gradual and only had a small patch of snow still. We passed lakes and cross rivers. We walked until our feet grew sore and our appetites couldn't wait any longer. I calculated that I was probably burning over 6,000 calories a day. It was tough to get that much even when dinner was a package of ramen noodles and a packet of instant mashed potatoes, plus whatever chicken tuna spam we had to mix in. Our bodies were changing, whether we wanted them to or not. I'm Andrew Steven, and this is Trailweight a podcast about hiking outdoors and the lessons learned along the way. I'm sitting on a log, eating Spam slices, two slices of Spam wrapped in a tortilla. And all I can think about is how close we are to Red's Meadow and real food. <laughs> Hamburgers, mm. french fries, mm. milkshakes. Mm. What are you most looking forward to? Oh, hamburger. Yeah. And fries. <laughs> and, and a milkshake. milkshake. <laughs> Very creative. Yeah, and a shower. 
We walked on, entering a stretch of trail lined with granite slabs and flowing water. Forests and meadows freckled the landscape alongside white and yellow flowers. For the first time on the trip, I started thinking about its ending. So much of the last year had been preparing for this hike, getting ready for this moment. And then I was here, actually doing it. Now, getting closer to the ending than the start, my mind began to drift from being present and thinking of what's next. What would returning home look like? Would I be changed? Would I be ready for what was to come? Today we got a pocket of cell phone reception and we were flooded with texts and emails and phone calls and messages and it was nice because we were able to check in with some family but ultimately it was just a reminder that we're days away from finishing and the real world is back waiting for us and this adventure and I guess lack of responsibility or a different type of responsibility is coming to an end. Knowing the simplicity of each day on the trail was a welcome change to the randomness back home. Even with a well-scheduled week, the unknowns in the city seem harder to manage than the unknowns in nature. Maybe it's just that it was a change of pace, or maybe I was naive. But I was really enjoying the new life hiking was bringing me. I felt a nagging feeling as I got back on trail. The red circles on my phone with various numbers inside begged for my attention. It's impossible to close that box once it's been open. Once the notification is there, you can't unsee it. And even as I craved certain aspects of city life, showers, home-cooked food, there were other parts that I wanted to live without. This is normal, and we all do our own version of this. But living in nature, the divide and the pole seemed greater. We took the trail back up again, climbing towards Silver Pass. Tracing the switchbacks, we made camp near Silver Pass Lake. Rocky and I set up camp in solitude, having not seen a single hiker for the past several hours, or the next several after that. The creek near our campsite provided a soothing soundtrack as we rested from another day's hard work. Rocky dreamt about Taco Bell, and I kept tripping out of the moment to think about life after the trail. Soon, we'd be entering Red's Meadow and Devil's Post Pile. Two places I'd been before, and two places that not only had roads and out-of-towners, but also pockets of cell reception, and more reminders that this hike, and the feelings it kept over me, wouldn't last forever. This episode is brought to you by our sponsor, BetterHelp. When learning how to backpack, one of my first purchases was a small, portable butane stove. And the first thing I saw when I opened the box was a small folded up set of instructions. After a quick read, I turned it on and it worked without a problem. Unfortunately, not everything comes with a set of instructions. And life is one of those things without a user manual. And most of it isn't problem free. So when life's not working, it's normal to feel stuck, lost, and unsure of how to proceed. 
We may not have an instruction booklet for life, but thankfully there are people trained to help us navigate a career change, work through relationship issues, and help us approach feelings of stress, anger, or anxiety. I've personally found therapy to be beneficial in talking through complex issues, processing pain, learning productive skills, and so much more. And BetterHelp has connected more than 3 million people with the help they need. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try or are having trouble finding the right help, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, accessible, and affordable. And, as the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists, all available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. You can easily switch to a new therapist anytime if things aren't clicking. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms. No traffic. No endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com wait. That's Better, H-E-L-P, dot com slash W-E-I-G-H-T. If you're looking for another podcast to listen to, check out Vanishing Postcards. Hosted by Evan Stern, Vanishing Postcards is all about being outside, on the open road, and seeing new places. In the latest season, Vanishing Postcards invites listeners to drive cross-country on Route 66 and experience everything from a dance in Tulsa to an eating contest in the Texas Panhandle, to a morning on the Santa Monica Pier. Vanishing Postcards explores how this iconic road's past, present, and future are revealed through the stories of the people and places on Route 66 today. If you're looking for an episode to try, check out Postcards from the Mother Road, The Roots of Route 66, and hear all about how the legend of Route 66, which spans almost 7,000 miles, came to be. You can join their road trip by following Vanishing Postcards wherever you get your podcasts. The podcast project kept creeping into my head, too. I knew I would be making the show, and I kept thinking about the story I wanted to tell. It was my story, but it also wasn't. Put on my headphones? You don't have to if you don't want to. Do, is that what people do? Yeah, 50-50. Okay, okay. I kept thinking about a conversation I had a few years earlier with Chris Kelly. Hi, I'm Chris Kelly. Chris was the head writer on Saturday Night Live. Yes. Or co-head writer. Co-head writer, or, or co-head writer yeah. Yeah. Co-head. co-head writer, yeah. And co-created the show The Other Two with Sarah Schneider. And before that, he was a writer with The Onion. Um... Well, and not to be dramatic, but around the time I was leaving The Onion was when my mother passed away, so I went home and I, I was living with her towards the end of the t- my time at The Onion, and The Onion was really great about it, and for a while they were letting me leave, and they were like, go, be with your mom. A lot of them like chipped in to buy me flights back and oh, forth, so nice. and were just like, go, and when you need to come back or want to come back, or if you want to come back, you have a place. So, so I was like dealing with that at the same time, but then... Once I, um, my mother had passed away and I was, I'd been with my family for a while and I just took some more time off and I, I traveled. I did that like gorgeous, like my mother's passed away and I'm traveling through Europe and I looked out train windows and just was so dramatic and self-obsessed with it in my own sadness for so long. So I did like a six week European vacation of sadness and growth and pretending it was in a movie. And then I... You can see why this was on my mind. There were similarities in our stories and instead of a podcast... Some of Chris's life events eventually made it into a movie. Other people, yeah. It it uh it it echoes obviously. It's it's somewhat autobiographical yeah, from yeah. what your what your story is. Was writing it something you felt like you had to do to sort of 
process this and deal with mm-hmm. it? Is it just what you knew? So it's what you wrote? Is it, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm curious now. I believe was this closure for you or something? And I don't like necessarily feel like that's the case, although maybe it is and I'm not aware or something, yeah. but it was more like I had finished my first season at SNL and I had also like written my first season. I worked for Broad City um, and obviously The Onion and Funny or Die. And I'd only done comedy before and I'd only done really like short form sketch comedy for the most part. And so I really wanted to that first summer after SNL, I was like, I don't know if I'll be going back. I don't know what's next for me, but I should like try to create something that's like mine. That's mm-hmm. like not under the umbrella of another company or that's not writing for the voice of the onion or blah, blah, blah. So I was like, I want to write a feature. I don't know how to do that. I've never written all my, everything I've written has been like three minutes long. So I wanted to write a feature and I wanted to write something that was like more tonally in line with what I thought I would write if like I didn't have constraints like or like and write something that was more tonally similar to the things I like which are like comedy drama hybrids where like the comedy is like a little sadder more somber um, basically a comedy where people cry all the time Uh, and I didn't know how to do that but and I kept trying to think about what to write and I kept coming back to this like time in my life and I don't know, I kept saying like, ah, you shouldn't write about this because it's too like personal or it's like too autobiographical or like it's quote unquote like a cancer movie. And like, I'm not sure if you're aware, but there have been cancer movies before. (laughs) Yeah, so like- Cancer podcasts. Like here are the like 20 reasons why I shouldn't do it. But then I was like, I just, this is what I keep wanting to write about. And this is like what I know. And they say like, write what you know, especially when you're writing something for the first time. And I don't know, I just thought that, there was stuff I like clearly like this sounds so dramatic, but like wanted to say about that time. And so I just, I kind of shut it all out and just wrote. And also, cause I wasn't writing because someone was like, will you write a movie? We want to make it. <laughs> like I was, I didn't think it was going to get made. I was mm-hmm. just like, let me write what I know. Let me write what I care about. Let me write about what interests me. And then as long as I'm happy with it, I could, if nothing happens, who cares? Yeah. But I can use it as a sample or something. Or so just, and learn again, learning just to learn and how doing. to do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Writing what you know is something you hear a lot in creative circles and for good reason. Like Chris said, especially when you're writing something for the first time, it's an experience that only you can tell because you're the only one who knows the particulars. But it requires you to remember and relive those experiences. For difficult or traumatic events, this can be especially challenging. I want to avoid those moments and feelings. On the hike, I was also reliving an experience. A few years before this adventure, Rocky and I visited Red's Meadow and Devil's Postpile. We camped here for a quick vacation and walked through the mesmerizing basalt columns formed by cooling magma 100,000 years ago. From the top, these columns looked like hexagon-shaped tiles, and from below, they stretched upward towards the sky in awe-inspiring rows. When we were first here, it was under much different circumstances. My mom wasn't sick. I wasn't as introspective. To be honest, visiting Devil's Postpile was as much about checking a destination off a list as it was about marveling in the geological wonder. And when we saw the thru-hikers resting and resupplying at Red's Meadow, I never knew I would be one of them one day. But as I trained for this trip, I remembered that scene and played it over and over again in my head. Looking forward to buying Gatorade and eating a fresh cooked meal from a restaurant after 18 or so days in the backcountry. This is a scene I wanted to relive. This was a movie I wanted to make. What was it like making a movie that's about you and your family? It was weird. (laughs) Um, 
It was weird because like I, I didn't like write it and then say, great, now let's make this baby. I just wrote it and then was like, oh, I hope someone reads this and like doesn't think it's terrible or that I suck. Um, so once it actually happened and it was like, oh, I'm on set directing it, it was a little bizarre, but it was only good. I mean, the cast was so good that I like just felt very like lucky. Yeah. Well, even that like was a weird casting these characters based out of your real life. Um, yes and no, because I did, I still, I truly don't like think of it as like, like a full like mapping of my family and it's yeah. not like the bones of the movie are true in that like my mom died I'm gay I do comedy blah 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 like but I but it's not like moment for moment so I, I wasn't like casting a biography it, yeah and I wasn't casting it being like well my dad is like this so we got to get this or my sister looks like this I just wanted I was okay if it came if it became its own thing you know I learned something while making this podcast at first I kept putting off writing and listening to the audio I had recorded on the trail or the months leading up to the trip, or during the last few days of my mom's life. It was too painful. I wanted to avoid certain feelings. I didn't want to go through the pain again. But at some point, I sat down and started. And it was painful. But for better or for worse, there was a tipping point, and suddenly the story became its own thing. Even though it was my personal story, at times it felt like I was writing about someone else. It didn't sound like me on the recordings. I was separated from the story. It's interesting. There seems to be a through line in, in, in of don't be afraid to throw away your darlings, but then yeah. also like there's strong personal ties to stuff like that. Yeah. Is there like a wrestling match that goes on, especially in something that, and of course, it's not 100% biography. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's it you know the emotional stories and feelings that are real to your life but then also like yeah. i don't know creating and having to have that confidence but then also like well what makes the story better and yeah do you mean in terms of like cutting out a scene or something yeah, especially in post that's in not this... working but it's like my mom said that or something yeah 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 yeah, yeah. that is interesting because at the end of the day it's like a story and so it needs to work as a movie it needs to work as a story which i think is the trickiest thing about like i was very aware of that the whole time because I know there's a trap that it's like if if you write a script based on your real life, there's a trap that it's you're you're just writing a journal entry, yeah. you know. And if you then direct a movie that you wrote based on your own life, you don't want to fall into the trap like when you're directing of being like, well, actually, my mother was wearing a red shirt when she exactly. said this. Why is she wearing a blue? Like, because like you're like, oh, you still have to change things. So that's when people ask how much of my movie is true. I'm like, I don't even know, fifty percent, forty percent, like. The big things are true, but then the some scenes are fully, true. yeah, like like I would remember verbatim some things my mother said, for example, mm -hmm. but then some scenes around the things she said are completely fictionalized, but they were fictionalized. It was necessary to write these scenes to help support the thing yeah. she said, or you know what I mean? Like, so when things can be made up and still be true. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And so I, I don't, I don't know. I don't like really feel precious, like in the edit of being like, I can't lose this. Or, I don't know. Um, and also like writing a movie where you're like, <laughs> where you're like you're writing yourself as like the lead but you don't you're like so like theoretically i guess you're the character as the protagonist but then you're not like i didn't want to like i'm not like the hero of the movie yeah. like i'm not like this perfect whatever so it was a weird exercise also also like this happened seven years ago so it's like when i'm writing and directing this i'm writing a version of myself from seven years ago so it's a constant like mental gymnastics yeah. it's like a real fuck like it's a, such a mind fuck of like trying to write a character that's you from seven years ago to be like what was i like then like what were my insecurities or like what were my strengths and what were my weaknesses or like how did i suck or like you know yeah. i don't know so <laughs> it, yeah it's weird to like step out and like 
yeah. look outside yourself and then like judge yourself. I it's, don't know. It, and probably beneficial at uh, yeah. some point too. Like, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, I learned I had no faults. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was weird. So I have no idea what what day of the week it is, let alone the, the actual date of the month. Do you want me to tell you? Month. It's, just, it's just weird how when you're out here, you just completely lose track of a calendar. I have one straight in my brain. <laughs> it's all in there. Like, I don't know. I don't know what day. I have day. one of those... Uh, <laughs> pull off, pull a, a day okay, off. How many, how many days have we been hiking for? Yeah, it takes a while to remember. <laughs> no, no, I was just pulling another day off my calendar. It's no, a Simpsons. It is. I think Simpsons it is quote calendar. I think it is the fifteenth day. <laughs> each day's a new Simpsons quote. But what day of the week is it? Wednesday. It's because you just looked. No, yes. it's because I have it in my brain. <laughs> the only reason I knew today was Wednesday is because I got a notification on my phone to water the house plants. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, our house plants are probably dead. Um, They're dead. We're <laughs> murderer. It's interesting hearing myself on these recordings from the hike. That was two years ago at the time I'm recording this episode. And then again to hear me even earlier talk with Chris Kelly. At times it feels like I'm not even listening to myself, but a different person. Time has an interesting way of creating that type of objectivity. My friend Monty Montepar, who's been helping me tell this story, shared something he learned telling stories for the moth. It's generally accepted that you have to give some time between big life events and telling a narrative story about them. In moth world, I think they say five years for a loss, but up to 10 years for something complicated or traumatic. You have to be at a place where you can spend enough time with those moments to really get all the details and the angles and um, bring people back to them. And you have to be at a certain process with those events to get there. And then processing them for story is a whole other level of it. So it does take a long time. And by the time you've got there, you have some distance from yourself and from those events which makes it more objective, but can also sometimes make it feel complicated or far away um, from your present self. I feel like that's not so much a rule as it is an observation. Like there's something that happens with time, what our minds choose to remember and what we forget. Perhaps it's our way of spring cleaning our memories, deciding what's important and what's not. Maybe that's why so much of storytelling is metaphor. It's a way to describe what happened without actually saying what happened. I know this story of mine is true. I have the recordings. But it also is a story. It's written and edited. I knew I was going to make this show as I was recording myself, which has an effect. 
And with each day, I get further and further away from the actual events of the story. I remember once hearing that the word metaphor actually translates to meaning something that is more than true. That when you say you feel like you have the weight of the world on your shoulders, it's obviously not literally true, but somehow it's more accurate. Maybe that's why nature stories and adventure stories are so filled with metaphors. Maybe that's what makes something art. Because it's too hard to actually describe what you've been through. So instead, you tell stories. Leaving Red's Meadow and hiking through Devil's Postpile with a stomach full of burgers, we were now five days away from finishing our hike, and I felt the weight of the real world starting to crash in around me. Not literally, again, that's a metaphor, but you get the idea. I called my dad and coordinated when and where he would pick us up. It's amazing how quickly this hiking life became the new normal. I wasn't sure if I wanted to go back to real life, let alone if I'd be able to. I was scared about what would happen next. I liked this new version of living, and I didn't know if I wanted to go back. Next time on Trailweight. We're three days away from finishing the trail. Yes. What have you learned? Trailweight is produced and written by Andrew Steven. Our story producer is Monty Montepar. Music by Breakmaster Cylinder and Epidemic Sound. Executive produced by Jeff Umbro and the Podglomerate. We're posting photos and more from the trail on our Instagram and Twitter at Instagram.com slash trailweight and Twitter.com slash trailweight, as well as on our website, trailweight.co. Thanks so much for listening. Podglomerate Original.